The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual warfare, and uh, specifically as we've seen Daniel's interaction um, and the things that he has received as far as uh, prophecy and visions and dreams from the Lord, how it's affected his heart and affected his spirit, and uh, then of course the Lord's help through that time as well. And uh, so for the sake of time, and so that we're all on the same page, we'll do a little bit of review, uh, but we won't jump into reading each verse yet. Uh, as we go along tonight, we will uh, pick up scan through some of the verses, and then when we get to brand new content tonight, we'll read through some more verses that we've not yet read together as a church as we've studied Daniel chapter number 10. Of course, these final three chapters, Daniel 10, 11, and 12, uh, they actually uh, consist of one um, single encounter that is taking place, which is odd as we've gone through the chapters now through Daniel. Uh, each and every one of them has picked up with a different story and a different encounter, a uh, different event that is taking place, and they've actually jumped back and forth in time. Uh, one time, one event would be here in this date, and then in the next chapter, it would go back several years, and then another chapter will jump ahead of that first one several years as well, and it's been humble jumbled and every, all that as we've gone along, but these last three chapters are one consecutive event, one encounter that is being spoken of, and uh, we'll study them specifically in two major parts as we go through the last few chapters. We won't necessarily break them up by chapter breaks, um, as we have in the past few weeks, uh, but we will continue on and kind of study them in two major parts. Uh, those major parts, the first part takes us through Daniel chapter 10, and that's kind of what sets the scene for all these events and the encounter that is taking place through these last three, three chapters. And uh, in addition to Daniel, we are introduced through these three chapters to three other individuals. And uh, we were introduced to the first of these individuals last week, and we said this was a pre-incarnate uh, um, appearance of Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll get back to that as we re review some more in just a moment. Uh, but these three chapters will continue, or these three characters, I should say, rather, will, rather, will continue through the three chapters. And in this chapter here, Daniel is given vision of both near and far-term prophecies, things that will happen in just a few years or relatively speaking anyways, and then things that are thousands of years off in the distance as well. Part one of, as we study, it goes all the way through chapter number 10, and even in the first part of chapter number 11, and where Daniel is going to uh, receive an explanation of these near-term prophecies. And then at a certain point in chapter 11, it switches and uh, begins to focus on those far-term prophecies as well. And those prophecies deal with the uh, very last end, end of the days, the, the end of the age of the Gentiles, as we've been speaking about, that, was, uh, be, that began with, the, uh, with the, the kingdom of Babylon taking uh, the children of Israel into captivity. Uh, part two continues to the end of chapter number 12, and at the end we said it has a, a very unique tie-in to the book of Revelation, which we'll get to when we get to that point. But nevertheless, we spoke of last week as we were considering the realities of spiritual warfare. Our first point was point number one, and that was this, that spiritual warfare 
involves divine responses. Spiritual warfare involves divine responses. And we found this in chapters 10, verses 1 through 4. So let's read those verses quickly here this evening. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. And that thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint my Myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, uh, as I was by the side of the great river, which was Hedekel. And we stopped there, of course, for this point, because we spoke about the fact that as Daniel has typically done in the past, he is dating this specific, this specific encounter uh, by a reign of a king. And he says here that it was in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, the events that we studied in chapter 9 were in the first year of this same king. So that tells us that not only do these last three chapters go in consecutive order, and it's one specific encounter, but it is also unique in the fact that it is taking place chronologically in the same order as following chapter number nine as well. And so, nevertheless, it's following two years later, and uh, this is the last vision that Daniel will receive, at least the last one that is recorded in Scripture. Daniel is approaching roughly about 90 years of age at this time, having been, been taken into captivity around the age of 14, more than likely, 13 or 14. And uh, unlike some of the others that had been taken captive and uh, ha- are going to be let, uh, let uh, go to go back to Jerusalem, help rebuild the walls and, and uh, go back to their homeland, Daniel never returns. And so evidently he passes away and spends his last days here in Babylon as the, the uh, nation is still under captivity. Uh, but in chapters 10, 11, and 12, uh, it's a description of the vision that he's receiving and this interaction that has taken place. And the message that he receives here is a message of conflict and uh, because it describes the war that will take place between the Gentiles and the Jews and between God and between Satan. And Daniel has opened up these verses by telling us that he's been mourning for three weeks. Now, we discussed the importance of this because the fact that he gives us specific dates or times, if you may, and the, peri- the time period through which he is mourning uh, alludes more than likely to why he's mourning. It tells us here on, uh, the, in verse number four, in the four and twentieth day of the first month is when, he's take- when all this has taken place. Well, that's not maybe a big deal to us as Gentile people, but to the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish calendar, uh, the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread uh, takes place on the 14th through the 21st of that first month of their Jewish calendar. And uh, both of those events deal with the fact that uh, the nation of Israel was set free out of bondage in Egypt and uh, the Lord provided for them and took care of them. We said, in essence, that those festivals in this time served as the nation of Israel's Independence Day. And so here Israel is in captivity in a foreign land with their, with their home destroyed and Jerusalem completely uh, just uh, ransacked and destroyed. This would allude to why Daniel has been mourning. As these, these festivals and these events are coming closer to or drawing closer to, to being a part of their ritual and be, be part of their life, Daniel is realizing that what they would be celebrating, unfortunately for them at the present time, was not true. They were going to be celebrating their independence and their freedom. 
when they weren't free. And uh, so this would lead Daniel into this three-week time of mourning. And uh, so we imagine that as the feast approached, Daniel entered into this period of mourning because he knew Israel still had many generations of oppression still to come. So we find that uh, the reason, though, that spirit, this is taking place and it's heavy on his spirit, it involves spiritual warfare and it involves divine responses because we find here that the Bible tells us that he received a word from God, a message from God, and he sought to understand it. And we, we said this, that as we're going through spiritual battles, as we're going through struggles, we need to be looking for the Lord and we ought to be in his word seeking for his word to speak to our spirit, and we ought not, st we ought not read it like it's just some, uh, any other book. Yeah. We ought to seek to understand it, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and, and study it to show ourselves approved. Secondly, though, we said last week that spiritual warfare involves dedicated reinforcements. We read in verses 5 and 6, Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz and his body also was like, uh, like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. So beginning in verse number five, we're introduced into one of these new characters, as we said, and we, we begin to go through this time, and the Bible tells us uh, some uh, some description of this man, as Daniel saw him anyways, as he sought for ways to describe this man. And the Bible tells us all about it as, uh, through the ending of verse number 5, all through the verse, verse number 6. Now, he doesn't specifically state that this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus. But the appearance and the description of this individual uh, reminds us so much of one that is found in the book of Revelation. We went there to Revelation 1 and verses 10 through 15. We won't read those verses tonight for the sake of time. Uh, but when we compare the two uh, descriptions, one from Daniel and one from the apostle John, we find that, yeah, John described uh, uh, Jesus in, in a, a, a little bit of a different way than Daniel did. But for example, we find that John, it's just kind of the terms that are used that are different. John uses the term garment, where Daniel uses the term linen. And uh, John used, says that it was paps of gold, where Daniel says it was a belt of gold. And uh, John says it was like white like wool, where Daniel says white, like it was lightning. And John says that his voice was like the sound of many waters, where Daniel just called it a multitude uh, of sound. And we said that it, the, the differences, if we wanted to call them that, are just simply the differences in two human beings, normal Ordinary men grasping at whatever they can and finding some way to describe the awesomeness of God that they had just experienced. And so, nevertheless, what we find here is that as Daniel is receiving this message from God and it's really overwhelming his spirit and it's, it, it's taking its toll on, on his life and, and, and his emotions, that uh, the spiritual warfare involves dedicated reinforcements because Jesus himself showed up to help Daniel here in this, in this position. And we said that even still today, Jesus is still interceding on behalf of his people. We spoke out of Matthew 14 and, and how Jesus sent his disciples away and, and uh, they went off into the water after being with all the multitudes and they had went away and Jesus went up into the mountain to pray by himself. But while they were out on the waters, a storm arose and Jesus was alone praying. 
And we said no doubt Jesus would have been in prayer for his disciples during that time, even before he came walking on the water to be with them and, uh, and to calm their spirits and to calm the storms. The Bible tells us that Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us still today. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and uh, he makes intercession for you and I. And so as we enter into this, t- these times of spiritual warfare, we realize that we have reinforcements on our side, and uh, they're dedicated to being with us and to taking care of us. And the warfare truly is the Lord's. We must remember that. Now let's jump into some new content here this evening, and we're going to pick up in verse number 7. We're going to read down through verse number 17, and then we'll kind of break it down and dissect it as we go along. Verse number 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great uh, quaking fell upon them, so that they fled uh, to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me uh, into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, uh, then was I in, a, I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Verse number 10, and behold, an hand touched me, which set me up upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. For when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me uh, one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips, And I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision uh, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can thy servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Let's pray quickly before we jump into this new content. Our Father, we do thank you for this evening, and we ask that you just help us as we go through your word and study tonight. Lord, give me the word to speak as I deliver your message, and uh, Lord, help us to honor and glorify you through all that's said and done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, we said that spiritual warfare... It includes, uh, involves divine responses. Two, spiritual warfare involves dedicated reinforcements. But thirdly tonight, let me state this, that spiritual warfare sometimes involves disturbing realities. And uh, here we pick up in verse number seven, and Daniel apparently, when all of this is taking place, uh, was accompanied by others. Although they did not see the vision, although they did not hear the message, uh, Daniel uh, is the one who's experienced the vision and the message, but those who are with him don't see it. But much in like the same case as Paul, as he's on the road to Damascus, or Saul anyways at that time, on the road to, on the road to Damascus, he is blinded by this great light, and, and, uh, and uh, Paul, uh, Saul and heard Jesus, 
though his companions did not. And the same thing is happening here uh, with, uh, with Daniel. Daniel's here getting the message. He's receiving the vision, but his companions do not. But in both cases, uh, the companions are terrified by something that they could not even see, and they, they scattered, and they, they removed themselves from the situation. For Daniel, the effects of the vision was dread and, and incapacitation. The Bible tells us that he physically became as a dead man. He couldn't move. He fell down, it tells us there, and, uh, and uh, he was left alone, and there was no strength in him in verse number 8. Uh, literally, he has experienced this message from God, and although his companions could not hear it or see it, they knew something was happening that drove them away. And this is the uniform experience, truly, listen, my friends, it is the uniform experience of sinful human beings when brought into the presence of a holy God. To completely be stricken as dead, to have no life, to have no power. Uh, it, it's, it's more than just a mental response. It includes a physical response as well. Literally, our, our flesh reacts instinctively to the presence of God. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they had taken, taken of the forbidden fruit and the Lord appeared unto them. What did they try to do? They tried to hide themselves, and, and the Bible tells us here in verse number 7 that the, his companions fled and hid themselves, and Daniel, when he was stricken by the presence of God, fell down uh, incapacitated, not able to move. The reason humanity responds in this way to God is because of our sin. Our sin has placed us in mortal jeopardy before an almighty judge. And no wonder our, our, our immediate response would be to just completely fall incapacitated before the one who has all power over us. Even a man uh, relatively as good as Daniel had the same experience. There's not much that we can say, if anything, that we can say wrong about Daniel from Scripture. And yet he still had the same response. The glory of the Lord can drain our strength, if you may. Notice verse number 9, yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. At this point, Daniel has found himself face down on the ground in a coma-like state, and uh, nevertheless, though, Daniel needs to hear the rest of the story. He needs to get the rest of the message. He needs to get an understanding of what's taking place, this revelation from the Lord. And so the Lord sends an angel to help Daniel be revived and continue the conversation. Notice verse number 10. And behold, an hand touched me and set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. Here, Daniel is still trembling in fear, and truly, who can blame him after the experience that he's had? But no longer is he laying face down in a coma-like state. He's now on his hands and knees. He's no longer incapacitated, but he's still fearful, and he's still trembling. But here we see the, the, uh, the essential difference between angelic beings and our Lord. And with it, we also see the purpose and why God created, or one of the purpose anyways, why God created angels. Angels are God's servants. They're they were created to bridge the gap 
between fallen men and God. Not in a salvetic sense, not for salvation's purposes, but for communication and for interaction. In fact, Hebrews, 11, oh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us this. It says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Angels are ministering spirits. They are messengers sent by God to minister to his people. And they can interact with fallen men in ways that God cannot. As God is perfectly holy and he is the ultimate judge and, and just his presence alone in our sinful state uh, would cause us to be completely unable of moving and incapacitated. The angel can, can interact with man in a way that uh, gets God's message across and be able to uh, get God's work uh, accomplished. The angel will still elicit a strong response from men, principally fear. How often do we read in Scripture when an angel appears, they say the same, fear not, because they are in the, the, these people's presence and they immediately fear. Fear is the natural response to something that would be considered supernatural, something that is unknown. Like when you hear a loud bang and it scares you, like, Why, what was that? It's, you're fearful because it's something that is unknown. Or when you come around the corner and you go to sit down in a seat and put somebody put one of those fake snakes there, you know, and you jump back and scream like a little girl. That uh, that's, it happens because it was unknown that it was there. And that's just our natural response to something like that. But since angels are not our judge as sinful beings, we do not experience the same feelings of dread or jeopardy when we would be in their presence. Men can work with angels without falling down or entering into a coma, which is why God uses them as his messengers. So the Lord has handed off this conversation with Daniel to an angel now to be able to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. You say, preacher, how do you know this is an angel though? Because as you follow along in the portion of scripture that we just read, he's just finished describing Jesus in verses 5 and 6. And then he fell on his face in this coma-like state, and he's hearing these, all, all these things, but he's in a deep sleep, and verse number 10 just says that a hand touched me. How do we know that this isn't the hand of Jesus? Well, there's some things that the scripture allows us to read through, and that has brought me to the conclusion that this isn't Jesus reviving Daniel, but an angel. Let me explain it this way. First, the pattern of what is taking place matches exactly the pattern that we saw in chapter number 9. Go back to chapter number 9, if you would, with me. I'm sorry, chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter number 8 with me in verses 16 and 18. We liken this to the fact that it's a chapter 8 already, but again, notice with me in verses 16 through 18 of Daniel 8. Daniel said, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. Here we have in chapter number 10, uh, what we say is Jesus Christ hovering over uh, the, uh, the, uh, the river, um, Hedekel here in, uh, in the midst of Babylon. Uh, but here on chapter 8, this man is hovering above the banks of the Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, so now the one that's hovering over the banks, calls to Gabriel, and he says, make this man, Daniel, to understand the vision. So he came near, that's Gabriel, where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, 
and fell upon my face. And just like Daniel, still trembling here in chapter number 10 before this angel. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time that the, uh, of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. So the man here uh, that we see at the beginning of, uh, in chapter number 8, the man Jesus, sent Gabriel to bring Daniel an interpretation. And, at, and he approaches Daniel in the same way, touching Daniel, causing him to revive from a deep sleep and to stand upright. And so the, the pattern of chapter 8 and the pattern of chapter 10 are the same, but that's not the only thing. Secondly, as if we were to fast forward into chapter number 12, and remember chapter 10, 11, and 12, are all one event, all right? So we can't divorce them from each other. They're all one event. And in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. Who's the man clothed in linen above the waters of the river? That's Jesus. So that tells us that there was one individual on one side of the bank, another individual on the other side of the bank, and Jesus hovering over the river in the midst. It says, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? So chapter 12, as we said, is still set in the same moment as chapters 10 and 11. And that chapter, Daniel reveals that there is a total of three characters that are taking place in this moment. In addition to Jesus in linen over the water, there are two other men on either side of the banks of the river. And the most logical conclusion when liking it to other scripture like chapter number 8 would be that the two men on either side of the river would be an angelic being. Furthermore, look at verse number 16 in chapter number 10. Verse number 16 of chapter number 10. In verse number 16, Daniel describes the one who is speaking to him, the one who has touched him, the one who has revived him. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Daniel says that one resembling a human being is the one who's touched him and revived him. Now, he just described Jesus earlier on in, verse, in chapter number 10. He didn't describe Jesus as, as someone that looked like a human being. I mean, in fact, he speaks about eyes of fire, right? He speaks about a shining, uh, shining radiance off of him. So if this is the same individual that is reviving him, why would he describe him now as just a simple human being? So all of these things wrapped together, I have come to the conclusion, I believe, that this was the, at chapter, number, chapter 10 and verse number 10, that Jesus has handed off this conversation now to an angel, and more than likely, this angel is Gabriel, um, as later on even, he speaks of Michael as being one of the ones on the banks of the river. And so since he's not, he speaks of him in the third person, it can't be that same, same Michael. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we, we, we see that he's being revived and he's, he's being spoken to now. And the conversation is continuing on with the angel Gabriel. Now, continuing ahead with that conclusion... Gabriel has touched Daniel, and Daniel is now on his hands and his knees. But can I say that sometimes when we find ourselves in spiritual warfare, the experience of spiritual warfare can seemingly, with, for lack of a better term, take our breath away. Look at what happens in verses 11 through 13. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. 
And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, uh, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come uh, for thy words. Notice verse number 13. But the prince of Persia, I'm sorry, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me uh, one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. From this point in verse number 11, Gabriel tells Daniel that he's a man that has been greatly beloved. It's the same phrasing that he's told in chapter number 9 as well. Daniel said that he's a man that has been greatly beloved. And Daniel is esteemed in the sense that he has received a great measure of God's grace. And then by his faithfulness and a devotion uh, to obeying God, Daniel has uh, commended himself, if you may. With that, the angel directs Daniel to stand upright so he can receive the revelation from the messenger. And uh, so Daniel is moved from being on his hands and his knees now to standing upright. But the Bible says he's doing what still? He's still fearful. He's still trembling. And so Gabriel tells Daniel there's no need to fear because Gabriel is an answer to his prayers. He gives the customary angelic response of fear not. And he says, listen, you don't need to fear. You don't need to tremble because I'm here because you've actually prayed for me. You've, you've elicited my response. You have asked for my help. He says in uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 11, no, verse number 12, I'm sorry, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and the chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. He's saying, I'm an answer to your prayers. What prayer? Well, go back to verse number one of chapter number 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. Notice what he said. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the visions. So here Daniel is receiving the vision as he's speaking to God and asking him to help him have understanding. Here Gabriel is the answer to that prayer. More than likely, the prayer was at the beginning or started off with this three weeks worth of mourning and prayers, uh, but Gabriel is just now getting to uh, being able to answer it three weeks later. Uh, based on what Gabriel tells Daniel, we can surmise that Daniel was praying for understanding concerning his troubling visions that he's had. And over the last several weeks, going through the previous chapters, we completely can understand why he would have troubling uh, uh, feelings and fears for what is uh, up and coming. Because the visions and the prophecies that he's seen are full of calamities. They're full of problems and troubles for his people. So he's entered a period of mourning and fasting and waiting for an answer, and it seems he would have had the answer to his prayers earlier, but the angelic realm was a little bit busy. Because we read on, and Gabriel's wor words here tell us that in verse number uh, 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. That Gabriel's words here confirm to us that angels are bound by time and space as, uh, just as every other created beings. Angels are not omnipresent like our Lord. 
That's why Satan himself is not omnipresent. He's a fallen angelic being. And, and the fact that Gabriel was the answer to Daniel's prayers, but he couldn't come and help him until three weeks later, or yeah, 21 days later, uh, was because he was being withheld by this, this prince of uh, the kingdom of Persia. It, 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 it confirms to us that they're bound by time and space just like any other created thing. I would say more than likely then it seems as if a day for an angel would be the same day for a human being as well. Uh, one day is like a thousand to our Lord because He's everywhere at all times and at the same time. But if angels are bound by time and space, then I would uh, assume anyways that m more than likely they're bound to days just like you and I are. And they have to travel to and from. They can't be in the same place at the same time uh, all around like our Lord can. Secondly, the power of the angelic realm operates within the boundaries set by our Lord. The only power they have is power that has been afforded to them or allowed by God Almighty Himself. In this case, the Lord didn't permit Gabriel to prevail, nor did He permit Michael uh, to relieve Gabriel until the time was right. So it appeared that the Lord wanted a delay for Daniel. Why? I don't know. But you know what that ought to give us? That ought to give us comfort. That if a man like Daniel, who when he prays has archangels show up to, to answer his prayers, and God wanted him to have a delay in his prayer request before it was answered, that when we experience a delay, hey, we're in good company. Remember the fact that God is still in control. But the real question is this. Everybody's wondering, why was Gabriel busy? What was going on for those three weeks? Well, Gabriel says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding him. A prince in the Bible is a term for a, a uh, spiritual actor normally and usually an angelic being. And we see this in the same verse where Michael is also called a chief prince, uh, meaning that he's one of the archangels. We know Gabriel is another archangel, so he too would have been considered a chief prince. In chapter number 9, we have the Antichrist, uh, who is called a prince as well. And he is called a prince because he will be indwelled the latter part of the tribulation by Satan himself, which is a fallen uh, angel, angelic being. So then who is the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Well, the obvious answer is it must be another angelic being of some sort. But if he's fighting against Gabriel then he must not be one of the good guys because he's hindering Gabriel. He's, he's fighting against him. He opposes Gabriel, so he's not one of the heavenly hosts. He's an adversary of the heavenly hosts, which obviously, obviously would make him a demon. He has a special responsibility, though, according to the Scripture, to the area of Persia. Now, this statement, I would state this here tonight, that this statement suggests that demons may have responsibilities assigned to them by Satan for working in various kingdoms or regions on earth. In this case, perhaps the prince of Persia, some would allude to say that maybe it was Satan himself because this realm or this area 
uh, even from uh, the times of the Garden of Eden, has been a place where Satan has prowled and had his, his stronghold on. But I would say, according to other scripture, that it would seem unlikely that it is Satan himself, because think of Jude 9 with me. If you want to turn there, you can, but Jude 9 says this, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Lord, rebuke thee. So in Jude here, we learn that Satan was trying to find and take Moses' body sometime after his death. Why was he trying to get Moses' body? I would have to assume more than likely he maybe wanted to indwell it, to bring it back to life, to cause confusion to all the nation of Israel, because if he could take control of a, of a body like Moses is raised from the dead, what havoc he could wreak on the nation of Israel with someone like that. So Michael is contending against Satan himself, trying to keep him from being able to get the body. But the Bible tells us that Michael the archangel would not even bring against Satan himself an accusation. Why? Because Satan, being a fallen angelic being, he was a cherub when he was, uh, when he was an angelic being, the highest of the high. Michael's just an archangel. That means he's the highest of the third level of angels. There's, there's cherubs. There's seraphims, and then there's the angel class. The archangel is just the head honchos of the angel class. So in, in, the, in ranking order, military folks, you know what I'm talking about. In ranking order, he didn't match up. So the fact that he would not even bring an accusation against Satan back then when he was, when he was contending and trying to withhold him and said, No, Lord, the Lord rebuke thee. It would seem unlikely then that he was fighting with the devil literally for three weeks. He probably wouldn't have had the power to withstand that. And so nevertheless, um, it seems likely then that this is some other demon. Perhaps if we wanted to rank him in some way, perhaps it is like Satan's right-hand man, his number one demon. But nevertheless, he is fighting against him, and Satan has assigned this specific demon to the area of Persia, and since this is Satan's most precious territory on earth. And I'd also state this tonight, that this would also explain maybe why the Middle East and the Arab nations of the world have historically been such dangerous places for Jews and Christians alike. Many missionaries can contest and, and testify to the fact that special spiritual darkness and persecution is, it takes place within those lands. There's a, 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 a heavy darkness, but let me state this also. Satan's power is never equal to God's. God uses his angel to channel uh, the evil, if you may. Let's put it this way, that um, uh, evil, uh, its power, is, it, it's kind of like the, 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 uh, a, a, a force of water, like a rushing water, water rushing downhill. It's powerful. It can be destructive. But if it's channeled within the right channels, with the right, the, the, with the right dams and, and the right blockades, it can be actually used for good. And for whatever reason and for, for his purposes, God allows evil to take place. He never causes it. God never causes evil. But he allows and he has control in how it operates as if it were going, uh, that, that water rushing downhill that was channeled for the right purposes. But we find here the nature of the conflict also between Gabriel, Michael, and the demon of Persia. Based on a clue that's inside the text plus a little history, 
we can guess to why or to the nature of the attack and, and the conflict. Look at verse number 13 with me. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And notice what he says here that Gabriel says. And I remain there with the kings of Persia. The word kings there refers to human rulers over the region of Persia. These men seem to be uh, the focus, if you may, of this angelic conflict. They seem to be the focus of the battle. Now, if you take your Bibles and go to Ezra chapter 4, we find what happens when Cyrus decides that he's going to allow the exiles that are there in Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to start to rebuild the city, and they're going to start to get life back to normal somewhat. They're still in captivity. They're still underneath Gentile oppression, but they're allowed to live back in their homeland. They're allowed to start to build things back up. But notice what Ezra tells us about this time and the conflict, physical conflict they were experiencing. Ezra 4, verses 4 through 5, it says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. And troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, could it be that the fact that Cyrus was letting the exiles go back home, that the kings of this area were fighting and comprising against? Uh, the people of Israel trying to stop their work from being accomplished. And so therefore, Michael and Gabriel are fighting, trying to keep the angelic or those demons back so that they would not give a special power or treatment to these hostiles against the children of Israel. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, a quite a possibility of what could happen. Perhaps even they withstood the demons to where they kept them from allowing something that would have taken place to actually take place. Folks, I'm telling you, when I'm talking about spiritual warfare, you think we, we, we get in our mind this spooky, haunted stuff and this supernatural sci-fi junk, but this stuff is real. And I promise you, there are things that Satan wants to do in this world that God's not allowed. Perhaps these, these two archangels were keeping it from happening. If you ever wonder why Satan doesn't wreak more havoc on earth than he seemingly does, you have the angelic realm to think. Because the Bible tells us, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But as we begin to close tonight, the angel finally gets down to business in verses 14 through 17, where he says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision, uh, for, yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken... Such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. Said As I said earlier, it can kind of take your breath away at times. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath uh, left in me. In answer to Daniel's prayer, Gabriel is prepared to give Daniel the answer to his questions concerning the visions that he's already seen. The moment of these visions just seemingly sucks all the life out of Daniel once again. And once again, Daniel has left from an upright position to his 
face down to the ground. He's become speechless, and he's re- we got to remember that these visions are things that the Lord has imprinted upon Daniel's minds of things that are going to come in the future for his people Israel. It's like uh, the uh, coming attractions or up next, like our up next video. You know, this is this is what we have to look forward to, and it's just replaying over and over and over and over again in his mind, and it's a sign to uh, to him about the terrible things that will happen underneath the uh, oppression of the Gentile people. But to us today, it also ought to serve as a sign. If those things were that horrible for him to think about, think about how horrible it will be during the tribulation time and for in hell for that, for that matter. But notice he's left literally speechless. He can't talk. And so the angel touches his lips again in verses 16 and 17 to strengthen Daniel's mouth to speak again. Every time the, 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 uh, the angel touches Daniel, uh, he gives him strength and he revives him again. And, and with a renewed strength, Daniel starts to talk again. And notice that he references this angel as Lord. And just a casual reading through the scriptures would again maybe cause us to think, well, this isn't a different person. This must be God. This must be Jesus again. But we must remember that that term Lord is just simply a generic title of respect. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that Sarah called Abraham her Lord as well. And so he's just respecting or speaking of this this angel as a superior Daniel is asking how he could expect to continue the conversation since the visions have robbed him of all this stamina. Notice that he adds that there's no strength in him and he can't even catch his breath. Daniel has completely been exhausted from just the memory of these visions. Later, we learn that Daniel is having visions of various calamities, even including events of the tribulation time and And what a a terrible set of events it truly will be. But as I close tonight, let me say this. The reality of spiritual warfare in our life can truly be overwhelming at times. You ever have that bad day and you're like, I have no idea why I'm so upset right now. But you're just having a bad day. People say, well, you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, I've told my kids at times, you need to go back to bed. Sometimes we just wake up in that funk. Sometimes we, 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 we feel a little oppressed, if you want to put it that way. But it's in those times that we must remember this. And we're going to conclude this next week uh, with, the, with the reality of how God is in control of all this thing. Uh, but we must remember that the battle is spiritual and it is the Lord's. We cannot fight a spiritual battle through fe- fleshly means. We cannot just expect to get a little more rest and everything fix it. We cannot, I'm not saying rest isn't good. Sometimes we need the rest. We we need to take that time. We need to just sit back and relax and just have time to ourselves or do some recreation, do a hobby. I'm not against that. don't, Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But when we have those times and then all of a sudden after that time, it seems like it's just worse than it was before the time of refreshment, we must realize that we can't fight spiritual battles through fleshly means. I can't, uh, I can't go to the gym and work out enough to get my strong, myself strong enough to fight the spiritual battles. Uh, I can't go and check out a bazooka from Fort Huachuca and, uh, and say I'm going to uh, blow up the demons in that way. Do you guys got those over there? I don't know. 
Hey, listen, if you do, let me know where they're at, all right? But uh, listen, I can't fight a spiritual battle through physical assets. We got to remember that when it comes to these battles, the battle's the Lord's. And we must give the battle over to Him. Remember also when we find ourselves in those times of weakness, that's when He's made strong in our life. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I'm not strong in my own power. But when I am weak physically and in the flesh and even spiritually, when I turn to the Lord, that's when His power is made evident. That's when His, His, His ability shines through. And that's when I have to come to fully rely on Him. I can't do it on my own. I've got to trust the Lord. And we're going to see that even further as we finish this up next week. But let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessings. And uh, then we'll take our prayer request time. Our Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, your presence in the midst of spiritual warfare. And uh, God, I'm also thankful that it is spiritual in nature and that I can't see it. Uh, to its fullest. For if I saw all that was taking place, I'd probably uh, be scared to death, unable to function out of fear for what was happening uh, in the spiritual realm. But God, I ask now that you would just help us to trust you, realize that the battle is yours, and uh, that we would just trust you and rely upon you to strengthen us, to equip us, that we'd stay uh, close to you through the study of your word, that we would uh, speak to you through prayer, that we would, uh, of course, as believers, encourage one another and edify each other uh, as we, as we uh, fellowship together, that we would seek out uh, other believers for encouragement and that we would seek to be the encouragement for other believers as well. Lord, you've given us all the tools necessary to uh, accomplish and fight this battle. Ephesians 6 tells us about your armor. And Lord, it is something that we ought to put on daily, but the armor is only as good as the one who equips it. Lord, you've given it to us. We must trust you as our captain, as our guide, and Lord, we just want to rely on you through all these times. And Lord, we praise you. Thank you for your goodness. We ask that you help us take this message to our hearts tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.